can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star, and the namesake. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. This gives us an opportunity, the 18th of April, the following day. These are great anniversaries in America for the, the battles at Lexington and Concord. So we'll talk about those two cities. We'll talk about another Really big city, Chicago, which is enduring another one of its hellacious weekends under a new new um, mayor who's, uh, gosh, what a lefty. That, and we'll get into some other things and get Victor's opinions on so much. And we'll get to these things right after this important message. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com. And use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive 
member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, this uh, weekend passed, I was uh, going to a wedding. I was driving to New Jersey and uh, listened to uh, to you and Sammy. You know, great, a great podcast. You seem to be doing doing better from uh, your bee and wasp or hornet attack. How are you feeling before we get yeah, on? To Chicago? I'm feeling. I'm feeling better. Uh, um, uh, you know, it was funny, Jack. I. Uh, after having, I think I told you, after having long COVID for 11 months, I got COVID euphoria and I felt pretty good and I never jogged in my life. So I started jogging and uh, I thought, wow, I beat this. And then, and I got stung all the time, as I said, because I'm, we have about a hundred hives from the neighbors and ours. It never bothered me, but I apparently this condition I have, long COVID, this mastocyclosis, long COVID, and then running, I guess, makes histamine, and then the, the venom builds up. But I'm waiting for all the tests. But I am, I, you know, I, I, I feel like uh, it's just, I'm getting back to where I was, but it's, it's just kind of achy from the, I guess, all the steroids and Benadryl they inject you with and adrenaline. They did it. They just, I had, to, I had to take that stuff for about a week and I didn't like it. And then, but I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I take that elevate water, that hydrogen infused uh, water. That's great. Oh, that yeah? com- comes from super water and uh, a friend sends it to me. A couple does uh, oh. the wieners and uh, boy, I, I get a really good charge. And then I've given it to a colleague who's recovered from head and neck cancer and he uses it and it really helps him. He thinks create more uh, saliva. So that helps. And I take a lot of supplements and stuff. But uh, it's very, it's. Uh, Maybe we should uh, dr- drown uh, Chicago in some Elevate water. Yes. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to empower it, give them more energy, but uh, yeah. yeah, maybe. Well, let's, let's, let's talk yeah. about that, Victor. Let's, uh, you know, the, 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 now again, we're recording on Monday, the 17th and this weekend past, it might've even been Friday a night, uh, uh, Youths uh, organized themselves via social media and just went on a, you know, burn cars and loot spree. And Chicago has a, a new mayor, Brandon Johnson, and his response to this, you know, outrageous behavior has been to condemn critics to say, uh, "Don't demonize these uh, the, these kids." This kind of criticism is not constructive i saw him on some some tv interview and he and oh it was it was maddening he would yeah, not I saw, yeah i he, saw him not, too. yeah he wouldn't he wouldn't condemn looting except he turned the tables in his ideological way to say that oh the corporations are looting the the poor communities of, yeah all right so yeah what do you what do you what's your take well on i mean this, this, this is analogous to the mayor remember in baltimore we gave everybody a place he, he said he wanted a place so i think he's channeling what was her name in baltimore so we gave everybody a place for those who wanted to burn and riot we gave them a place and it's, I, a, it's the same attitude and it's a complete failure to take responsibility for your actions and it raises a larger question. I was in San Francisco last Monday, and it's very tragic that there is very little traffic. This 30% of these beautiful new buildings are empty. 
Uh, they're trying to, it seems to me, clean up some of the feces, and it was cleaner than I had thought outside of the market Union Square fiasco. But my point is, all of these mayors, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Detroit, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, Washington, St. Louis, Memphis, they all inherited these rich, vibrant cities. You know, Carl Sandburg, Chicago, or I Left My Heart in San Francisco, or Boeing, Seattle, or Hollywood's Los Angeles. And they were all functional, great places to live for a while. And then the 70s and the Great Society came, and that made it worse. And then we had the Giuliani, Michael Bloomberg sort of renaissance, the broken windows um, attitudes that really under. And then I gave credit to Bill Clinton. He continued what George H.W. Bush and Reagan did, at least in the sense of, you know, uh, being opposed to illegal immigration. He was and trying to balance the budget. And and, you know, Joe Biden's on record. Remember about it's a jungle out there. We have to give stiff penalties. So and they broke the back of crime is what I'm saying. So now these new people enjoying the work of others that they inherited and did not contribute to. They inherited stable vibrant cities. If you went up to San Francisco in 2006 or seven, it had been, there was a radical change, uh, uh, I guess the force or, or dynamism from the Menlo Park, uh, Palo Alto, Sunnyvale, Mountain View, old suburban Silicon Valley up to the city where you had all these young people. They were mostly childless. They were hipsters. They stayed out at night. It was very safe. Prices were skyrocketing, and that was the place to be. And they destroyed it, is what I'm saying. They destroyed all these cities. And they, they took them over, and then they basically said, some people who were dead gave us a great inheritance. This infrastructure's here. And years of red state governance and sort of cons even conservative Democrat government, we have a good system. We got all this money, and we're going to just live it up, and we're going to try our utopian bromades where it's, hire more people or raise pensions or give the teachers unions whatever they want or bring in the Soros DAs. And in this space, and then of course there was COVID and the Trump derangement syndrome and the riots after George Floyd, that was a catalyst, but they destroyed them. They absolutely destroyed these cities as workable places. And I, I think in the last year I've been to downtown San Francisco, downtown Los Angeles, downtown Washington, uh, downtown New York, downtown Portland, and downtown Seattle, and they're destroyed. I think they are, from what they were, as I remember them just a decade ago. Right. And it's really sad because they didn't create anything. These mayors, they haven't. They didn't build a building. They didn't uh, build a monument. They didn't found a park. They didn't do anything. All they did was undo the work of other people. And there's a racial element to it because basically. These these uh, major cities are plus minority run and the the tax base tends to be more in the direction of the white professional and corporate class who are, pro, you know, to live there. They're pretty liberal and they they put up with it. And now they feel that the new Democratic Party is so racially fixated that even though they share their ideology and either even though they contributed to the policies that have destroyed these cities, that they have a target on their back. And, you know, when you have California, Jack, when the legislature says that they're going to tax 
uh, I shouldn't say tax, but when you pay your power bill, you're going to get an assessment on your income. So how much money you make, you will add 50, 100, 150 or so dollars to your power bill every month. Yeah, why should that just be about power? Why should they charge you well, more for bananas? Or, yeah, yeah, uh, it is. We're in socialism. I think everybody has to take a deep breath and say, do not make fun of the EU anymore. Do not make fun of Sweden or Denmark as socialists. We are more socialists than they are. We have higher combined tax rates than they do. And we. this party is to the left of the European Socialist Party. And it, it, it's it's socialism that's taken over this country. And you can see it, whether it's the abolition of SAT scores or the abolition of competitive GPA rankings or hiring people not on the basis of merit or Stanford University bragging that they turned down 60 to 70 percent of the students who opted to take the SAT and got a perfect score. It is insidious. It permeates every aspect of our culture. And they, what gets me so angry is these people, for all of their victimization, all of these different groups, they didn't create what they what they enjoy. Somebody else created it. And somebody else created it under different premises and auspices than theirs. If they, if you translate what the radical LGBTQ and the ra radical Antifa and the radical BLM, all of that ideology, it wouldn't give them the wealth that they are squandering right now. It would give you Cuba. It would give you Venezuela. It would give you Nicaragua. It would give you North give you Korea. Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. Give you Chicago. Well, we're turning every yeah. every. And the thing that gets me is that. So there was a tragic shooting in I think it was was that in Missouri, I think, where an African-American teenager got the wrong house, supposedly, and he was knocking on the door to find his brothers. And he went up to a house and the, the owner panicked and shot him and didn't kill him, but wounded him. And now Mr. Crump, of course, and Sharp, it, it's a, and, and that, that, that may be, that may be found to be a illegal shooting. If it is, then he should and likely will face the full run of the law. But what I'm getting at is, is the media today is just obsessed on that while this rampant, and there were shootings in Chicago, this rampant riot, they are contextualizing just like they contextualize the three gang members who executed those girls in Florida, we still don't have one, just like we had in Alabama, a shooting. I think it killed four. And when you have black on black or black on white shootings, it's a shrug. But when you have these George Floyd incidents or somebody mistakenly shooting somebody who comes to his door, then we're all supposed to see that as a referendum on the toxicity of American life. It may be, but the others surely are in terms of magnitude and damage and death are far greater. And no one says a word. Yeah. And that's what the media does. And I, I don't know the answer to that, but violence is violence and death is death. And it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. And you should report these things. And as I said before, if you listen to NBC watch PBS, listen to NB NPR, ABC, read the New York Times, you would not get any iota that in terms of hate crimes, in terms of interracial crimes, in terms of disproportionate 
uh, crimes of rape, assault, and murder. We have a problem with African-American male youths between the ages of 14 and 40 that are inordinately either double their numbers in terms of hate crimes or even higher, double their numbers. I mean, it's six times more likely to commit an interracial crime if you're in that demographic than a white person to do that to a black person. And about 55% of the murders are committed by about 4% of the population. And no one wants to talk about that. And what I just said, I probably will have somebody listening. I'll get a note from Stanford University. But my point is, if you don't talk about it, it's going to create more and more anger. And I don't know what the answer is, but the answer is not Al Sharpton and BLM and these grifters trying to rush in their private planes to each time they find a focus or a loci of a white on black crime and then to exploit it. It doesn't right. work. They should work on Chicago. Work right. on Chicago, Al Sharpton, Mr. Crump, go to Chicago. And I don't think the answer is not enough parks or not enough open space. Um, you know, Victor, there, there was that, I think it was in Minneapolis, the, remember the, a couple of years ago, black cop killing a white woman by mistake, right? I think but, he was from but, Somali, wasn't he? Or for Ethiopia. Yeah. 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 I, you know, we talk about race all the time here, but that's because those the, the ideology that's trying to destroy our found, you know, this republic, use race as as their their weapon. And uh, that's why BLM was so embraced by the left, because race is who wants to be called a racist in America? That's the greatest fear. People who aren't racist, not a scintilla of racism in their bone. And that's probably most Th- this started Americans with, and they're afraid. They're afraid to please yeah. don't call me a racist. And it started with Barack Obama. When you go back and look at boilerplate, JFK, Hubert Humphrey, Lyndon Johnson, you name the uh, Al Gore, Bill Clinton, you, you, even, you know, John Kerry ran. It was all class and the underprivileged. And remember John Edwards, two Americas. And we're going to help the white working class, the black working class, the Hispanic working class, hard hats, blue, blue collar. That was their message. And Obama came in and he created, he pumped up this dead word called diversity and he re, booted it like a Frankensteinian monster. And he said that now it's not black and white. It's 30% of the nation has been victimized. It's immutable. I don't know how you can do this, Jack, when you can construct your gender, which is much harder to do than your race. But it's very strange that a person can say, I am a biological female, even though I have testicles and a penis and a muscular skeletal system that is not like a woman, but Rachel Dozel or Elizabeth Warren or Ward Churchill can't do that. They can't change their, and Obama knew that. And so what he was trying to do is get a permanent class of marginalized people, supposedly, that had claims against the majority. And race then was immutable. LeBron James is a victim. Colin Kaepernick is a victim. The Black Caucus is a victim. The Duchess of Sussex is a victim. Oprah is a victim. Many people on The View are victims. Now, they may be multimillionaires, and they may live in mansions, and they may have private security details, but they are victims because of their race. 
And once you do that, then you have a permanent class that cannot be upwardly mobile. And the reason Marxism failed is that every time they said, we're going to help you and we're going to help you and help you, the guy did pretty well and he came up and he looked at his paycheck and he said, I make 50, 60, 70,000. I don't want to pay for this. And he, he advanced out of the grievance industry of the Democrats. But once you change that and you say that all black people, all pe brown people, all people who are not white are permanent victims from ever, forever from white. Then you have a permanent constituency. And, that's and that what means they did. you also, that's what they you did. also have to have a permanent oppressive class also because yes, they can't be to. victims unless Victor Davis Hanson is, is an oppressor by yeah, just by absolutely. virtue. And they don't care. They don't care about your individual circumstances. They don't care at all. You know, everybody is a different person, but they have a collective. They have a collective. They make one exception, one exception. They despise black conservatives. I don't more so than Asian or Latino, because this paradigm cannot tolerate a brilliant guy like Tom Sowell or Shelby Steele or Clarence Tom. They cannot tolerate it because it, it just defies all of the propaganda they have imbued. So they go after those people. And, you know, I mean, we are watching a situation right now where probably the most corrupt family in the history of the U.S. presidency is completely exempt, the Biden family. They made right. millions of dollars. If any accountant went into Joe Biden's various homes and he looked at how much they cost and he looked at his lifestyle and he looked at the amount of income that was reported. Uh, in that brief period after he, for the first time, and he was not a member of government, say from 2017 to when he was 2000, I don't know, 19, when he was a candidate, he didn't, could not have made that much money. He would and have he had did, to have won the lottery. He would have had to. And look <laughs> at his tax return. They don't care. They'll go after Clarence Thomas until they destroy him. And that is, that, that, that's very strange how they do that. What do you think I, I, about him flaunting his son in Ireland? Did you? He, he brought Hunter with him on that trip. I think it's something that we're going to see because I think what he was doing was G Jill called Hunter up and said, I, I, this is just hypotheticals. I can't handle him anymore, Hunter. He says anything to anybody, anytime, anywhere. I can't handle him. He doesn't know where he is. You better come on this trip. And did you notice that Hunter sort of was at his dad's side and when his dad got confused? Hunter jumped in and said, no, no, dad, this is what he asked. Yeah, dad. Yeah. And I think that was, he needs a full-time attendant. And I think that's going to be Hunter's new role. And that's going to put him so close to the president that no special counsel, right. I mean, Merrick Garland is not going to allow that to any, any special counsel to go after Joe Biden or Hunter Biden. And so that, that's what's, I think that's what it's about. Right. But Jill, Jill Biden wanted Jill wanted this. Dr. Jill wanted this. She knew that her husband wasn't up to it, but she had dreams of being the next Michelle Obama. And she demanded that he go out there. And he lasted about two years and he's going downhill rapidly. And now she's panicking because she loves the spotlight. Yeah. Every time she opens her mouth, people give her a pass. But she is the most gaff prone person first lady we've seen in years. I mean, she goes to a Hispanic, all, you know, and talks about tacos. Right. Uh, she goes right to the women's winner and then she gets in that 
psychodrama about, well, we're going to bring the white team to that came in second and then back and forth. She doesn't know what she's doing and she loves the spotlight. So I think Hunter, maybe members of the Biden family are going to reappear and they're going to help her steer him along. Yeah. And, um, we'll pushing see. the pushing the British prime minister out of the way, out of just, um, I don't know, brain fog or or I don't know. I mean, dreaming of ice cream cones somewhere, the, you know, New York, the New York, New York Times would have had a headline on. It. Yeah. And he said, what What these kids said, you know, what do you have to do to be successful? Don't get COVID. I mean, he, that whole trip in Ireland was a disaster. And he insult, he got confused. He insulted people. He shouldn't have been there. There was no reason to take a family junket when the world is upside down. Yeah. Also, Everywhere. the priest, the priest that gave Bo Biden last rights was there. And, and yet another example of him trying to yeah, always like does. enfold himself in the, these family tragedies. Well, he's, uh, to, he's told so many lies about Bo. He's told us that he was what a combat veteran or he died in Iraq or. He's told us that uh, uh, a drunken driver, a truck driver, ran a stop sign and killed his uh, ex-wife. He tells lies about his entire family, yeah. and uh, it, it's he gets away with it. He keeps telling everybody that he that he flew I don't know how many thousand miles, and he's or he's met Chi and so many hours, and it's just all so many miles on Amtrak. He just everything he says is a lie. And this is very ironic because Donald Trump was a great exaggerator. Sometimes he lied, but they were they gave him no margin of error. So it's time to bring veracity back to the presidency. And then they got the greatest fibber in, in history as as the president. They don't say a word. And you know, it's it's. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to this country. I, I, I wrote something today, you know, about how America could be saved because. I don't want to be Eeyore all the time. I want to be positive. But when you look at what the Bidens, I shouldn't say the Bidens. They're a construct for the squad, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, the Obamas. They're not functional themselves, but they rep they are the, uh, I guess, the veneer of this. The useful hard, idiots. Yes, they were the veneer of this hard left revolution. Pete Buttigieg today. Uh, trying to remind us once more that uh, freeways are racist. I can tell you what's racist is uh, Gavin Newsom, the way that when he uh, is going to continue this high-speed rail, we've spent $20 billion. It's going to be $150 billion from Bakersfield to Merced, and right parallel to it is the 99 freeway that is ossified in some places with just two lanes in every direction. With 10 times the traffic it was designed for. And they're mostly from Kingsburg, oh, down to Bakersfield. I'd say 75% of the traffic is Hispanic. And the same thing is true of 101 as it goes through the Gilroy corridor, you know, all the way into Monterey, Monterey yeah. County. And the same thing is true of I 5 on the west side. It only has two lanes of each way. And if you look at the names of the people who are both uh, victims and and at fault driving, it's mostly Mexican-American. And and I would say to Pete Buttigieg, that's racist. You could yeah. come in here with federal funds and fix these freeways. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying 
we're going to go and make the freeway system better so poor people or people of color won't get inordinately in accidents. He's saying the whole freeway system was created by racists. It went through your neighborhood. So what we're going to do is have green solution. That's what he's saying. And that's that's going to be even more racist because he should come down to the service station a mile from where I live. I call it the arena because uh, when you go in there, everybody is so strapped for cash, Jack, that they pay only cash. You get a nine cents discount. So you gallon, park. Yeah, yeah you yeah. park. It's over five bucks a gallon still, yes. right? Uh, it's getting close. Diesel is about five sixty. Gas is anywhere from four seventy to five five and up. But what people do is they go into they get in a long line because it's a cut rate price, and then they park their car, park their car, and they go in and pay cash, and then they don't, and then they come back, and then they kind of say, well, maybe I can get another five dollars worth, I get another gallon. They go back in. So the, the car, you know, it's not like you go in, stick in your credit card, and you're out in five five minutes. Yeah. It, it's every car is fifteen minutes. So you yes. got a line out there, and he, I wish Pete Buttigieg would go see that or Gavin Newsom and see the consequences in the real world of their ideology. They don't see it. He he's a guy. You remember that he gets in a black limo, and then when the cameras are out, he pulls out his bike and tells everybody he's riding his bike to work in Washington. Victor, we began this conversation um, about Chicago and you you talked about San Francisco. And I remember being there with you a few years ago. And uh, you've also talked about how how quickly civilization goes off a cliff. And you're right. Eight, nine years ago, great city. Now, my God, what a hellhole. But the difference between eight, nine years ago and now or the difference, say, with New York City, which was a city that was circling the drain and was saved, I think, by Giuliani and and uh, the great farmer uh, Bloomberg. <laughs> uh, what what wasn't available then and is available now is bandwidth, and I don't know how these cities can come back uh, from from this these. Catastrophes when people don't have to live there. You had to live in New York City if you were in this business yeah, finance, and you, don't, you don't have to anymore. Right? I don't know. I know my daughter's looking for a house in the Auburn area, and we're in a housing recession, right? California, 500,000 people have left, but not that market. That market from Sacramento to Lake Tahoe is red hot. And why is it red hot? Because everybody in the Bay Area that has families that go to school, especially are leaving and they figure they can go out to a nice rural area in Newcastle or Grass Valley or Colfax and buy a home and get an acre or two or more and they can get on the Zoom and they don't have to deal with this. And I think that is people just don't want to deal with it anymore. They do not want to drive into the city park and then know that. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not just the crime, Jack. It's the idea that the people who run the government in these cities have contempt for them. So they know right. that right. if you drive into San Francisco and you park your Tesla or your BMW and you're kind of an affluent professional or your Audi on the street and broad daylight, there's a good chance that somebody will come in, smash your window, 
go through your thing. And then you're going to call the police and they're going to come out in about an hour and a half. And they're going to say, well, it looks to me like it's less than $950. So it's just a miss. We don't, we don't even do that. And there's going to, and then they're going to say, somebody's going to say to you, well, why in the hell did you take that nice car into town? And you know, too, that if you walk in San Francisco, or if you go to a dinner or something and you think I only have about eight blocks, I'll just walk and somebody comes up like this happened a lot. The fire, former fire commissioner was beaten and, and we just had another a gay man that was just beaten up at, walking outside a hotel. He was shot, actually. Uh, they're going to the attitude. Well, why did you walk out there? Are you dumb? That's your fault. Right. And same thing about taxes. Uh, okay, you, you're going to pay 13.2 taxes beyond your 39 federal and your six or seven, eight Medicare and Obamacare tax. But that's not enough. We hate you. So we're going to add $150 to your power bill. And so I think people are saying, I can take paying taxes or I can take the crime, but I cannot take paying taxes and still being hated. Right. In other words, get this abuse and they hate me and I'm giving them this money or I'm trying to play by the rules. And I know tomorrow that if I go to downtown San Francisco and somebody shoots me like Kate Steinle died, they're going to they're going to contextualize that and say, right. oh, he was a poor illegal immigrant. He wasn't he wasn't really shooting at Kate. He was shooting at the yeah, he stole the gun and all that. And and we know that if he said he was shooting at wildlife, if he had shot, if he had deliberately pulled out that gun and he had shot a pelican or right. a sea lion, eagle, right. Yeah. That would right. that would he'd be all that would be all through. Yeah. He'd, he'd be all through. He'd be in jail the rest of his life. Because these people put more premium on certain pet causes than they do human life. And so that's what's really tragic about yeah. it. They, back they're very on, callous people. They don't value life. Right. And we, back on the Pete Buttigieg uh, line about contempt, kind of related, uh, Walmart has shut, I think, all four, had four stores in Chicago. They shut, they're shutting them down. Yeah, and they, because, they, they keep attacking the the corporate culture yeah. while they don't, they're not serving the community. Well, they... and. Whole Foods just shut down their completely remodeled. That was their signature store in San Francisco because they couldn't protect their employees. And that meant we don't can't guarantee when they drive to work, they'll have a safe place for their car. We cannot guarantee they will not be attacked when they leave work. And when they're in the store, they're in a dilemma when they will see people just walk out with things. And so... And then we get into this cycle of, well, there's the the communities are being underserved because yeah, it's these a food desert, right? Yeah, yeah. I, our local Walmart used to be a 24 hour Walmart. Then I went in there one night at 11 and they were closing. So I asked the clerk, why are you closing? Oh, we have one. Of the, and she said, I can't tell you. I said, well, tell me. She said, well, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here. We have one of the highest theft rates of any Walmart in California. And they come in in the middle of the night and they steal alcohol and trash bags and they run out. And so we don't have a 24-hour store anymore. And that's what happens. It's, I think I wrote a column once, Land of Thieves, 
And I think that was so frustrating because I had gone to the local Home Depot and I think I had said that they closed down all of their self-service aisles. They do that periodically and, and channel these long lines right. so that shop, chronic shoplifters will think, hmm, I better not go there. The, the four big serve yourself and big barn door exits are closed. But my problem was every time I bought a chainsaw, a weed eater, anything uh, in a box, you know, Jack, I'd see tape on it. And right. that meant that it was either returned or right. somebody, and yes. I would I would bring it home. And I swear, if it was a chainsaw and I had the little, you know, pump uh, plastic little bubble to feed it and give it right uh, to start, it was missing. Or if I had the off button, it was torn off or uh, screws were missing from the weed eater. And it, it was just people going in there and anything that didn't have a barcode, they would take. But I think what a lot of people do is they, they think, well, I have a I have a product and I need some parts. I'm just going to go to Home Depot and steal them. And I'll walk out because there's no barcode on everything. Right. And that, that, that whole unwinding of civilization is, is really insidious. And once you get into that mentality that you have a right to do that, and that's what we're really talking about. That's what the woke ideology is really saying. It says that woke ideology trumps traditional laws, that laws are made by wealthy, white, Christian, heterosexual, privileged, wealthy people, and that they reflect that emphasis. That's what critical legal theory is. And so right. I am Victor Hansen, and I make $6,000 a year, and I'm very poor, and I went into the store, and I stole six Almond Joy candy bars, and they're going to prosecute me. And the only reason they're going to prosecute me is because wealthy, white, heterosexual, wealthy uh, Christian males don't need to right. steal Almond Joys. So they made a law to hurt everybody that does. Order order is a is a tool of enslavement or oppression. And that's yeah. when you yeah. now, order is heaven's first law. But uh, disorder is uh, clearly the left's. Hey, Victor, we have um, we've got to move on and we'll talk about. The beginnings of this republic and the people who died for liberty. I don't know why. So, so, so Chicago can become a hellhole. But uh, let's uh, let's note the um, an upcoming anniversaries of the, the battles of uh, Lexington and Concord, and some of your own thoughts, places you've Revolutionary War spots you've visited, and we'll get to that right after these important messages. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I would like to, to remind our listeners, and by the way, if you're this is when you're here new. Thanks for coming. I hope you hang around for for uh, future podcasts. But if you're interested in pre, uh, prior ones, well, visit VictorHanson.com. That's Victor's official uh, website. It goes by the name of the Blade of Perseus, but VictorHanson.com is the web address, and you'll find um, the uh, archives for all these podcasts, plus links to his books, plus links to everything Victor, Victor has written his American greatness pieces, which he does twice a week. Also, Victor writes many pieces exclusively for VictorHanson.com. And to read them, you need to subscribe. I think it's very reasonable. $5 gets you in the door. Check it out. And then it's $50 a year at a discounted rate. That's VictorHanson.com. So, uh, Victor, you have tomorrow. Um, April 18th and the 19th. And I have to admit, I'm I'm ashamed. I, for the last couple of years, I've driven through Lexington and Concord many times. I mean, I live in uh, Connecticut. I'm, I'm from the Bronx originally. My wife, Sharon, is from I'm about only 15 miles away. Um, she's from Lemonster, Massachusetts. I've, I've never gone to the battlefields. I've always I've beat myself up. I myself and my boys are going to go up there this summer. Been to, uh, of course, uh, Bunker Hill. And old Ironside, which is right right next to it. But Victor, even though you're Californian, uh, I have to think. Uh, I know you came, you come east every once once in a while. Uh, you've you've seen some of the Revolutionary War sites. So anything that struck you in particular, maybe even as a military uh, historian, about well, yeah, uh, I I think it was in 2006. Uh, I spoke for a Hillsdale College cruise on the Colonial Wars and. I went to Boston with the Lexington Concord, Old Irons, just what you talked about, Bunker Hill. Yeah, I think what was the theme of all of those battles is that they were Rambochot until Lafayette, and they brought some German Prussians, I should say, coming. It was amazing that these uh, private citizens were able, at least for a while, to hang on in these early battles against professional uh, Hessians. And then also British troops, and it, and then in these you know these major battles like Yorktown or Saratoga, they were able to actually field an army that was equivalent to the the best armies in Europe, and that's very hard to to comprehend how they were able to do that. Other than they really believed in something, and the British really didn't have their heart into keeping this colony. One of the things that we remember is that we were very fortunate that we were fighting the British because had we been fighting um, the Germans or the Russians or any other group, I think uh, at Yorktown when they surrendered, they wouldn't have played. If that's true, it's kind of a myth that they played the world upside down. But the point I'm making is that although there were a lot of atrocities on some of the British side, I think Mel Gibson's, was it called The Patriot? He really tried to right. em emphasize that. Um, by and there, large, there, there that was war, some, yeah, yeah, in the, the war, South, there were some, in the South. Tarleton, I think. Uh, yeah, Tarleton, and he was, respond and then Swamp Fox and the Irregulars and all that, for that. Francis Marion. I don't think, I don't know if they committed atrocity, but the British were clamping down on irregular troops, but. Right. And, uh, 
But the point is, we were kind of fortunate that we were fighting a parliamentary system rather than an authoritarian system, because there were people in Britain at the time that were not supporting what they were doing. Right. And, and then we were, we had a common language. There were certain common accords that helped us a great deal. But we had a very small population base and we had very poorly trained people. And yet for, from 1775 until 1778, we were doing pretty, I mean, it was amazing they could hold on until the first Continental Congress and the second, they could actually get in, become uh, viable and then, you know, find gunpowder and musketry and start to emulate European set battle pieces. I mean, we, we were irregulars, but at some point right. at a place like Yorktown, you have to field an army and destroy it. And we were very fortunate. The French were helpful and we had, I don't know, 32 French ships in the harbor outside Yorktown. So, well, Victor, the the anniversary of, of the you know, the battle of, of the first you know, what do they call the 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 uh, once where once in battle farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world that was at Lexington and you got to yeah farmers militia not 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 any professional soldiers and the bravery of those guys uh, I think at the initial battle was. I don't know, fifty to four hundred, some some kind yeah, of stagger, and and to stand there and and shoot shows show some amazing courage, and and I wanted to get, I'm gonna lump all this together, Victor, because thinking of courage and and what it, what does courage mean against back on kind of woke stuff we were talking about earlier, in particular that. Um, Oh, oh my gosh! I can't remember. Riley Gaines, uh, Gaines, the swimmer. You know the, what she went through at the University, uh, San Francisco State University, recently, and then of course the president of the college comes out and praises the bullies and the demonstrators for the courage they show. We always, we always get these, you know, uh, academic responses now praising the the um, the wannabe Jacobins or the actual Jacobins. Who are nasty, but they they talk about about them as how courageous they are when they outnumber uh, people hundred to one. But yeah. Victor, what's yeah? I'm con I'm I'm curious. Uh, I should have said. I think I misspoke. I said I, I meant Tarleton. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was that guy. Um, he had a very funny life. He was wasn't he the character in the Patriot that was a villain of the whole thing? Well, he was. Yeah. Because he, 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 he was a villain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he did. He had. Take he no was, prisoners uh, kind of. Guy. Take no prisoners. And he had the Tarleton's, whatever they were, raiders. But the funny thing about that guy was he, there was nothing recommending him. I mean, he was kind of a dandy. And then he was a slave trader. But then the weird thing was that after the war was over, you think they would go after him for war crimes or something. He lived to be in his late 70s. And he had a really successful career uh, in Britain. And I think he was a Whig. And so it was very strange that that this guy who became notorious and hated in the States and kind of besmirched the integrity of the British Army was seen as back in Britain as kind of a folk hero that, you know, took it to the Americans and did, you know, with irregulars and didn't follow protocol. And I don't know, I. I I think well, maybe in, in hindsight, would, how how Cornwallis, how he let Washington run away from him constantly, he may have been the highlight 
of of the war from a British jingoist perspective. Yeah, I don't think he got along with Cornwallis. That was in the movie, but I think that was that was something that was actually true that he felt that the way to to win this war was to terrorize a population and attack yeah. a population base, burn their you know their crops or thing, and then intimidate them, sort of like the SS. Yeah. But, uh, Rather than just have a pitch battle and surrender, I don't know how many he surrendered. It was thirty thousand or something. Cornwallis did. It was an amazing. Well, it was a huge, huge European type army. He just surrendered. Well, Victor, back on the thought. You know, you you have everything. You're a military historian, social commenter, commentator, uh, a classicist, and would you um, give us the classical view of courage because it's a it's something that's at our, the roots of our our nation, but it's also, I think, a term and a concept that's sorely abused um, nowadays. What, what, what? How did the yeah, ancient Greeks? Can, yeah, they had a, They had a, It was very funny. I mean, we have courage and we have bravery, but they had so many words for it. Um, the, by the way, the word courage comes from Latin "core," heart, meaning you're hearty or you you have heart, and that. that Right. As, and I remember the ancients didn't really think that logic was in the brain. They thought it was in the heart. At least the Greeks did. So that emotion and, um, rational thought come out of the heart. The cardia in Greek or the core, which is in Latin core cordis as a, as a verb. Uh, they, they had, they, I, I mean, there's been so many things in the bankrupt era of classics that are gender studies, but, Many of the words, uh, there, there's a little bit of uh, class or male. So the, the, the word for courage is Andrea, and uh, that means manliness. And there's another word, Aristea, which means uh, that's in the Iliad, that a person's Aristea is when they just go crazy and they nobody can stop them and they're hell-bent, kind of like mad dog fighting and that aristeia is a wonderful word because it comes from the word aristos the superlative of kalos good there's also another word that it can be negative and positive tolma that daring that you're rash but you're also able to go out and do almost anything that's kind of like when you read a middle um, a, a medal of one honor winner who kind of just said i've had it you know with the nazis the germans or and he just goes out beyond the the lines and kills yeah, charges the uh, machine gun. Then. Yes, yeah. that that's called Tolman. And okay. then there's there's a there's Tharsos and that that borders on rashness. But basically, Andrea is, is the most common word. And in Latin, it's probably virtus, which is we think virtue comes from it. But that and that's not related to we're manliness. It's from a different root. Uh, but that that idea is that it's cohesive, that courage is part of a person's character. It's central to it. It's, you know, in the ethics, Aristotle says that courage is the most important of all the positive traits, because without courage, you can't do anything else. You can be right. You can you can be loyal, you, but if you can't do any of those things unless you're courageous. And what does he mean by that? He means that you do things that you think are going to be beneficial to the collective or to your friends or family, even though they're going to be detrimental 
or at least very dangerous to yourself, but you make it a self-sacrificial uh, decision. And that's what I think courage is. Courage is the ability that when you see something wrong, you make an instant calculation. Hmm, 78% of my sense is that this is wrong, and 85% say if I speak out, I'm going to ruin my career, and I'll do it. And sometimes the reason it's called rash is that people can be very courageous, and then when their act of courage is over, they go home and their son says, well, you lost your job. What am I going to, how am I going to eat? Because you spoke out. And that's, that's a dilemma of courage. So Aristotle says that, you know, you've got to have an element of courage. And we don't have very much. And that's why these bullies are taking over. I mean, yeah. Uh, Riley Gaines, she's, she's taking on the trans, the trans yeah, well, movement. And where, that's, I where, think that's where, where are the feminists that uh, should be having her? No, back? I, I, yeah, I don't understand that because this is we if you look at the stories in the media of men transitioning to women versus women transitioning to men, I, I think it's nine to one, don't you? It just seems to be so much more common. Right. Men are, are transitioning to women like this. You know, this, what was his name, Mahoney or Maloney? Or what, what's the guy's name in the Dil book? Dylan Mulvaney. Mulvaney, the yes. Bud, the Budweiser drinker? Yeah, he, 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 he's not just caricaturing women. He's making fun of femininity. He really is. He's acting silly and stupid. As, and he thinks that silly, stupid activity of, oh, I'm a woman, I'm down, is going to reflect well on womanhood. Womanhood's not just that. It's seriousness as well, and he's not doing that. And then this idea that you unleash these males, biological males, and they destroy 50 years of women's athletic accomplishment, and you don't do anything about it. You don't speak out about it. And when you do, uh, if you're Miss Rowling or Martina Navratilova, then they demonize you. It's just, I don't quite understand why women are being so quiet. I grew up as a young kid and my parents would take me, we'd drive up in the station wagon. It was pretty cheap. You could go to the Russian American games. I think it was every two years. It's, I used the Bay area stadium. It was often at Stanford university's old stadium. And they had these two sisters, the presses, you remember them Tamara press. And I think it was Olga press and they were huge. And they didn't, I mean, their shoulders were five times bigger than their hips. And Americans were outraged. And it was mostly women javelin throwers, shot put, uh, and shot putters. They were just, this is not fair. These people are men. And the, the Soviets would never allow them. They would test for their hormones once in a while, but they would never allow them to have rudimentary, uh, in those days, I guess it was hormonal tests. But Everybody was out, outraged that the, the Soviets were supposedly taking men and pumping them up a, with a little estrogen to make them look superficially like women. And this was a violation of women and men's sports. But I, I don't think uh, this movement is going to capture public opinion, not because of bigotry, as they allege, just because uh, when you look at recent incidents, we look at San Francisco State and taking uh, this, the swimmer, Riley Gaines, hostage de facto. And then the president of San Francisco State contextualizing the violence 
and not doing anything to the perpetrators. And then you look at the Stanford University attack on Judge Duncan. And remember, that started because he didn't use the precise pronouns talking to a convicted about a convicted felon. And then you look at that violence going into the Texas legislature, transgender person. Then you look at the person who attacked, uh, or excuse me, who wanted to be the assassin of Judge Kavanaugh, who said he was transitioning. Then you look at uh, what we saw in Nashville with that. And we still haven't seen the manifesto. That's been suppressed. Believe me, if that was a MAGA white uh, MAGA guy, like on Daniel, we would know everything, but they've suppressed right. that. And what I'm getting at is that um, a lot of people are, are, are saying, and then you, you collate that with the the sports controversies and the the violence. And I, I you don't get the impression that this is a uh, vulnerable attack group that you get right. from jo- Joe Biden's rhetoric. You don't. And and it's not and somebody's going to say, well, you know, look at male. I'm talking about by I'm talking about scientifically about point two of one percent have genuine gender dysphoria historically. So you have a very, very small rubric, but they're in the news in a big way. And often it's not good. And the rhetoric that one hears that you you know, when you go after the author of Harry Potter and you try to basically demonize her or she can't go out in public because she happens to disagree with you, something's wrong. And I, I just don't think it's going to have legs. I just don't. I think yeah, people are going to say no, no more. Yeah, I'm, I know you talked about this at great length with Sammy the other day and we've talked about it before, but uh I, I I don't get the sense this is I'm a woman trapped in a man's body is which is probably the case for some people, but this uh, eruption of of cross dressing transgender whatever the heck you want to say I I just think this uh, I think there's a significant sexual if I may use the word perversion aspect to it. Like when did these drag shows become, uh, you know, bountiful in every American city. And then when you, now there's one uh, group of them in around where I live and you take the train and they plaster all their posters up on the, on the platform. And then it's it's all very sexualized. I'm sorry to say that the names are Dixie Normous. Okay. Yeah. I'm a drag queen. Dixie Normus, Cherry Poppins, etc. Things like that's that's uh, it's a very it's very testosterone driven. It has there's something perverse going on here. Well, I mean, uh, the thing that I don't understand is there was a fetish and everybody recognized it. It's in psychological literature, psychology. Freud identified it as transvestism. It was a fetish. And it was a certain type of sexual gratification that some men had when they wore women's clothing. And uh, it, you know what was weird about it? It wasn't necessarily homosexual. You know what I mean? The people didn't just wear women's clothing, although some did, and then go out and try to find sexual partners and act and play the, and I, and I mean male sexual partners, and then have sex as a male in women's clothing, that happened. But a lot of them were heterosexual, and they had no indication. So that was a identifiable sexual right. fetish. And 
we had another one that we created the word. Remember Christine Jorgensen? I think she was one of the first people to be right. medically transitioned. But my point is that we had another one called transsexualism, where that was genuine genu uh, sexual dysphoria, where a person's psyche and mental processes were in the wrong body. And that was that was identified in the literature as a very, 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 very rare. So we've taken those two manifestations and we've bundled them into trans. And we're now claiming that 15 to 20 percent of young people want to transition. That's not biologically or psychologically uh, viable in the literature. It doesn't exist. So what's going on is that this is a form of fad, self-attention and impressionable young people. Uh, and then when you have the state come in and start to give them the power to make irrevocable decisions, whether that is taking very dangerous drugs or sexual mutilation, essentially. And that's what I don't get about it, because the left had taken on big pharma. And from the right. 60s on, it was always the people's handbook of pharmacy or the people's pharmacy. And mm -hmm. you would buy these books. I used to buy some of them and they were things. Hey, you don't know the true story of Cipro and Leviquin. They're very dangerous drugs there. You don't understand allopurinol is being pushed on people for gout, but it can change your very metabolism or singular gives you nightmare. All of this stuff they told us. And then to push these drugs that are far more dangerous on young, vulnerable bodies, it doesn't make any sense. It, it just shows you that they don't have a systemic uh, absolute worldview. They just are so relative. They change their values depending on the perceived need and the perceived advantages of having yet another victimized group that they can champion. Yeah. But I don't think this one's going to work because their strategy is to normalize this and to transition people. And that's why they hate the word grooming. But the point is that if you take the average American family and they are worried that their impressionable daughter or son is going to be told in a public school that transition is a viable option and they should consider it. And that happens occasionally. They're not going to put up with it. They're not going to put up with it. Well, we have one more little aspect of this um, trans stuff uh, to get to, Victor, and we'll, we'll, we'll do that right after this final important message. <laughs> Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Victor, uh, since we we're, we're uh, talking about a trans and I, I thought we'd have some of these subjects. Let me take a piece from what we were going to talk about on the next show and just wrap this particular program up. And that has to do with the, the Dylan Mulvaney Budweiser, Bud Light controversy. And just quick thoughts, Victor, is, is that first of all, uh, the president of uh, Bud Light, uh, Brendan Whitworth, issued an apology that was not an apology. Uh, and then today, as we're talking, uh, Bud released a, a one-minute video that that is so steeped in patriotism and Clydesdales, et cetera, and Namby Pamby, as this is its response to try and cover over this yeah, uh, disaster I, it's created. We're so sick. Aren't we so sick of the Bud CEO mentality to basically lie to us when he, what he should have said was, I don't have any respect for the Bud drinker and they're loyal and they should be and I'm going to take them for granted and I want to expand our base. So I'm going to go trans and we're going to get this character Mulvaney and we don't really care what you think. And we're going to turn it over to some, I don't know, Ivy League grad that doesn't know anything, but she's she's a young person and she's convinced me that she's got her hand on the pulse of the trans movement. And then this woman comes on and says, well, your beer was too fratty. And she's the epitome of fratism from what we can tell. And then they go out and they destroy $8 billion worth of capitalization in about a week. And they really hurt the viability of a lot of distributors and stores, mom and pop stores, distributor. You buy the beer, you put it out there. You're in, you know, Bakersfield, California. Nobody wants to buy it. Right. And so the same thing with Disney. So we get the non-apology, this Iger guy. He wanted, they all wanted to go full trans, and they have lost billions of dollars in market capitalization and gotten a big fight. We saw the same thing with moving the All-Star game. Remember that in Georgia with the airline, American Airlines, Delta right. CEO. So Delta. Where, the question is, where do these CEOs come from? Well, they come from woke business schools, and then they're yes-men. These are not people who built their own company. These are not Elon Musk who built their own company. Right. And the tradition of American entrepreneurialism. These are company men that come out of these programs and they're not self-employed and they nod and nod and maneuver and network and they get up the corporate ladder. And then at 55 or so, they get appointed to be a CIO with one particular, you know, agenda. Don't screw it up, but try to make everybody happy and and try to be reflect popular culture and don't be controversial. And they have no sense because they've never been out of that corporate trajectory that curses have known. They don't know. They've never been a truck driver. They've never been a teacher. They've never been a farmer. They've never been a plumber. They don't know anything about that. And they don't know about the people whose products that buy. And then they get shocked when people say, screw you, I'm not going to Disney World, I'm not going to buy beer. And there's just enough of them that the translates into billion. And then they come out with the non-apology. Yeah. I felt sorry for Nancy Martinez, the law dean. But when I read that lengthy apology, all I was waiting to see is these people have <laughs> flagrantly violated Stanford right. University right. rules. The punishments are clear. They told a federal, many of them told a federal judge 
various obscene things. They put placards that we couldn't even put up. You've embarrassed this institution. You've threatened, you wanted to see his daughter's rape, and you're going to have to leave. As I said earlier, it's sort of like Admiral Bing that they hung to encourage the others in the word of Voltaire. That's what what you have to do. And the, the San Francisco state president, she was even worse than the diversity, equity, inclusion at Stanford. She she didn't even mention the trauma that her university inflicted on an invited guest, where if they had not had those policemen, I think they would have been sort of like Euripides Bacchae in Pentheus. They would have torn her limb to limb because yeah. they were surrounding her. And then they were talking about ransing her. She should, I, I can't believe that. So th- again, this revolution is not, it's not a grassroots le- resol- revolution. You don't see... 500,000 people like during the Vietnam War, you know, on moratorium day, uh, during the invasion of Cambodia, you do not see thousands of people at the March on Washington to hear Martin Luther King. And is it 62, the March on Washington? And you don't see that. You don't see it at all. This is a top down corporate, academic, media, bureaucratic Pentagon revolution. And it's all based on the perception of these out of it nerdy people that they have to do this to protect their own careers. And I think they will continue to be so misinformed into all of us, each according to our station, try to ex- explain to them, we are the majority and we find this deleterious to our culture and our civilization. And if you continue to do it, we're not going to list in the U.S. Army. 15,000 haven't this year. That's what they should. If you continue to do it, we're not going to buy Bud Beer. If you continue to do it, we're not going to go to Disney. And you can go get all your trans community and make that up. Or you can get the hard left and you can make more power to you. But we're not going to participate. And that's what's happening. And it seems yeah. to, it, for now, it, it gives a wishy-washy apology from these corporate lackeys. But at some point, they're going to have to do a little better. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still waiting for our, the, the 2020s version of the hard hats to come out. <laughs> they made a movie of that. Remember Joe? Yes. <laughs> Peter, Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Victor, that's uh, all about all the time we have. We'd like to thank our listeners for uh, joining us uh, today. And thanks to all, no matter what platform you listen to this podcast on, whether it's uh, Google Play, Stitcher, those who listen on iTunes and Apple can leave ratings, zero to five stars, mostly five stars. It's a very highly rated show. Thank you very much. And many leave comments. And here's a comment uh, from, uh, from this is from uh, Apple. A serious question for Victor. Victor, your ability to connect the historical dots is unparalleled. Question, given all the truly insane developments of our current age, how do you stop yourself from descending into complete depression and hopelessness? <laughs> Alan, Los Angeles. That's a good question. That's a good <laughs> question. I, when you get long COVID and then you, you're six one, you weigh 190 and a little tiny insignificant trivial B almost killed you. And you're writing the chapter on the fall of Constantinople and right. how the mega dukes, Mr. Notari- Michael Notarius had to when the sultan asked to have sexual relations with his teenage boy he was in captured in the captured city and then he had to watch all six of his sons beheaded and then they beheaded him and you're trying to write about things like that it can be depressing 
but you know, but Victor, always... but Victor, you look out of your house, and see. Yes, I'm looking out the my almond I'm, trees, and you're I'm looking. And you're that's go... what I'm looking out right now. I'm looking out at my great great grandmother's farm and almond trees and nice hundred and fifty year old house and. I'm looking nice at walks with your lovely wife. Yes, I mean, and I'm looking at my Dodge Ram diesel uh, club cab pickup, and yeah. uh, I have wonderful daughter and son and grandkids. Yeah, and I have a lot of good friends, so I feel I feel really blessed. One of the things well, that, that I I I was traveling this weekend to an event for the Hoover Institution, and you you know you can as I said earlier you can write twenty books, nobody will know who you are, but you be on Fox once, and people will recognize you. So they come right. up. And they want to talk and they all, it, what, what's really moving to me is they all say, we don't have anybody to speak for us. Thank you. Not that I'm their spokesman, but we need more people. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there. They're so frustrated because they're all their values and traditions are being assaulted, caricatured, lied about. And right. they want somebody to speak back on, in their defense. And nobody does, they feel. Well, that's, that's uh, somebody that, that does. Was, that, that, was that is the, you. That Come was, tr- and Trump did, but in a, yeah. a way that that you know could be crude. DeSantis is trying to do that, I think, and I think the Republican Party never did that before. The Romney McCain Party, it it, right? You know, John McCain said, "These are the crazies and crazy birds." Right? Yeah, remember crazy that birds, Hobbits? Right. He called them, didn't he? Hobbits. Yeah. And then so did Mitt Romney. What was his name? Carlos Delecto. He was on it. it so I think that we all need uh, not, And that's the attraction of Trucker Carlson. People yeah. can disagree with him, but he goes on there and he tells people in the world, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. This is a story today. These people are crazy. You're yeah. not crazy. And that's that's the appeal. Everybody's at Fox News, Fox News, Fox News. No, they're really attacking uh, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, and Tucker Carlson, because they tell the world you're not crazy. These people are crazy. Well, these are the revolutionaries. Victor, you crazy. have these people you just mentioned, they see you and they, they come up to you. And despite never seeing me on Fox, people come up to me also. And I, I have to say two things quickly. One, my my brother-in-law, Patrick, uh, I love him, and his, his poor mom passed away. They're at the wake. This is a couple of weeks back and his cousins uh, ali and kevin came up to me and they like i can't victor davis hansen means so much to us though in that we listen to every episode etc and then that i mentioned earlier in this podcast i was i had gone to or drove to a wedding of my dear friends ken and lisa uh, Sullivan and uh, their daughter marissa marissa got married to luke great guy but at the wedding Lisa, the mother of the bride, came over to me. You have to come over here. These our friends, they are such fans of of Victor and the show. And Carmen and Paul, they couldn't have been lovelier people. And I've, this has happened many times. You mean the world to to uh, you bring sanity uh, to, to a lot of. Not that you bring sanity to them, you expose sanity and you, and you confirm I'll... confirm that they are not insane. Uh, That's all I try to do. Yeah. I all, yeah. all I try to do is to remind people that they're they are a in the majority and they're not insane. They're not yeah. insane. What is going on is insanity, and it's a small group of people, third of the country, a quarter of the country, 
who have hijacked our institutions and they have influence, power, and money well beyond their their numbers. And I I just have to feel there's going to be a final reckoning in the next election because if we can prepare all of us uh, can prepare to make sure we monitor the integrity of the election. If we can do that, then we can take back power. And this time, if you get the Congress as Trump had, you've got to unite. You can't have Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or John McCain trying to freelance and be popular with the left and, and, and sabotage a program. You've got to get t- together and push things through to stop this. Yeah, this great republic hangs in the balance. And Victor, I think we're going to talk a little more about that on our next episode. So uh, until then, and thanks all for listening. Thank you, Victor, for all the wisdom you shared today. We will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show.